This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, December 21st, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday, uh, quite literally, Sarah. Sarah Abbott's producing from The Hangar because you know, we'll, we'll let uh, listeners behind the uh, the curtain. We had a show pretty much uh, built already. Like we just needed one more element that you and I needed to tape today. I taped some elements with uh, with Taylor yesterday and everything blew up with the news we got overnight. It was chaos. I like checked my phone, saw Twitter was going crazy. And then right off the bat, we were like, okay, we got it. We got to take two on this. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Carlos Correa it has an agreement in place with the New York Mets on a 12-year, $315 million deal. And that's after an introductory press conference with the Giants, after he reached a deal there, 13 years and $350 million, blew up. We don't know as we take this exactly why that didn't happen. Uh, I certainly, you know, through the years going into his free agency, have heard concerns about Carlos Correa's back. Uh, that he, you know, that he needed treatment in the mornings of the games, that he got treatment uh, before games at the ballpark, that he would be uncomfortable at times when he was flying. Uh, I don't know if that's the reason why. I know that's a lot of the speculation this morning. We'll get more information on that. But Carlos Correa is not with the Giants. He'll be signing with the New York Mets to play third base alongside Francisco Lindor. It absolutely reminds me. Uh, that morning that we found out that Alex Rodriguez uh, was going to sign with the Yankees to play alongside Derek Jeter. A lot of conversation coming up about all that with Carl Ravitch. We'll have Sarah Langs. We'll have Paul Hembikides as well. Some other deals that have taken place since our last show, the Cubs and shortstop Dansby Swanson agreed to a deal. Seven years, $177 million. Michael Brantley worked out a deal with Houston Astros. One year, $12 million. Andrew Benintendi signs with the White Sox, five years, $75 million. Justin Turner gets two years, $22 million with the Red Sox. J.D. Martinez, one year, $10 million with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Trevor May, a one-year, $7 million deal with the Oakland Athletics. Uh, the Braves sign outfielder Jordan Lucklow to a one-year, $1.4 million deal. Sam Fold got an extension as general manager of the Philadelphia Phillies. They announced the early season Sunday night baseball schedule. One of those is actually between the Mets and the Giants in San Francisco. Clayton Kershaw is going to pitch in the World Baseball Classic. But, Sarah, everything today that we're talking about feels like it's about Carlos Correa. I just love it. I love the drama. I love the excitement. It's uh, baseball's the best in the words of Sarah Langs. Right, exactly. And I know you have a comparison I want to hear uh, that you want to make about the Correa uh, machinations, how it looked like he was going to go to the Giants. Instead, he winds up with the Mets. We'll hear those later in the show. What else you got? All right. So even though it's an incredibly exciting day in baseball, be sure to check out the Dominique Foxworth show. He breaks down all the NFL juice. And also be sure to check out the Adam Schefter podcast for all of your NFL updates. All aboard. It's the Rabbit Train with Carl Ravitch on Baseball Tonight. The Rabbit Train, Carl Ravitch. He's the play-by-play man on Sunday Night Baseball. And Rabbit, that's going to be a good place to be on April 23rd because that night we've got the New York Mets 
playing the San Francisco Giants. And in light of the breaking news, man, I think that's going to be a game that's going to be watched by a lot of folks. What do you think? I think is Carlos Correa going to be a Met or is he going to be a Yankee or a Dodger or is he going to be a Red Sox on that day? Uh, which, where is Carlos? This is sort of like, where's Waldo? But assuming he ends up with the Mets, which certainly feels like that's where it's going to end up. Uh, yeah, that'll be a special night and what should be a, a really unique special season for the New York Mets. But I, you know, I, it's going to be a great place to be for everybody. Perhaps the guy wearing Carlos Correa's uniform. That probably won't be enjoyable. So tell me what your uh, first off. How did you learn the news, and what was your reaction uh, when you when you heard the news about uh, that Correa's deal with the Giants blowing up and his agreement with the Mets? Yeah, so I woke up I don't know five thirty something this morning, and right away you know you check kind of the news, and then you check the uh, the sports part of it, the Twitter part of it. That's where I oh I found out. I'll be honest, my first my first impression was like this this there's something. There's something odd about this. Um, it, it felt like somebody was at the altar and then something went bad and literally within five hours were, were married again. Like it doesn't happen that way. And to think that the, you know, the organization uh, led by the, you know, the billionaire was involved with, the, you know, the greatest agent who ever lived. It, it just it just felt a little fishy. It felt strange like that. that this, it's too convenient for Carlos Correa to end up in New York with the Mets. And I think I would have the same reaction if he ended up with the Yankees. Like, well, this is just, it just doesn't feel right. There's something about it that doesn't feel right. But in speaking with people, um, I, I think it all went the way that it, that it was supposed to go or, or could have went without causing any investigations or, or anything like that. It feels like it was and is above board. And, you know, certainly the agent knows knows all the ways to get things like this done. And obviously the owner, but when it comes to how much money is it going to cost me, that that's an easy one for him. So, yeah, it, it went it went the way that I, you know, that in, in Steve Cohen's world, it, it went beautifully. Yeah, I, I got it. I mean, my initial response was it took me right back to that moment 19 years ago when we learned that the Yankees had uh, right, landed right. Alex Rodriguez, where you were absolutely stunned, and that the, you know the fact that this superstar player was going to New York and had agreed to yeah. change positions to play third base alongside Derek Jeter. That, that was a blockbuster then, and this is a blockbuster now. You've got a superstar player uh, going to New York to play alongside, change positions, play alongside his good friend uh, Francisco Lindor, and so it kind of. Like the excitement levels off the charts, uh, but of course this is a move that's going to generate so much reaction for so many different people. You and I both know a whole lot of Mets fans, including our Sunday night producer Andy Jacobson. For Mets fans, I I'm excited. Like I think it's so cool that they, you know, this group of fans who are so devoted to their team have waited and waited and went through the dark years of the Wilpon uh, ownership where you know, had a big market team, often act like a small market team, and now they have an owner who is delivering on the promise to try to win a World Series three times in five years. Just from the perspective of the Mets, the team, the fans, tell me what you think. Yeah, well, I'll be honest with you. I mean, what happened here, what, what is the reality, is that the biggest one of the fans that you just talked about happens to be the man who is as well, who's far wealthier than any other owner. I mean, Steve Cohen is a fan. So now you have, think about what we've 
come to know and love about a about fans, but in particular, because we are intimately involved with many of them, um, how a fan thinks, you know, and the ups and, and particularly in the Mets case, the downs and the downs and the disappointments and the downs and all of, you know, you understand if a Met fan um, ran the Mets and had all the money in the world to do whatever he wanted to do, this is where the Mets would be today. <laughs> you know, may, maybe they'd have Rodon on that team too. I mean, at some point you just don't, you realize you don't need to, to keep acquiring, but this is exactly what a Met fan would want. And for years in that city, they watched the Steinbrenners and certainly George do, do exactly this. So yeah, sure. If you're a Met fan like Steve Cohen is, and you happen to own the team, this is exactly the place you would you would end up. It makes a great deal of sense. And yeah, I think it's a I, look. I there's a lot of me that loves this. Um, certainly from a New York New York angle, uh, I think it sets up the whole you know whether it's the back page or your front page of your tablet. It, it's a really cool thing myopically in New York. I think it highlights the bigger issues that, that the sport has. You know, what do we have? Five, maybe six teams spending money. There's one team that spends more money than anyone else, and it's not close. I mean, it's really now, it, it feels like, Buster, we have three classes of organizations, the Mets, then the five that are willing to spend, and then, unfortunately, the 24 who who seem to be, like, reluctant to, to jump in because they look around and realize, a, I don't want to compete. I might be able to, but I don't want to. I'm not doing that. Um, and I'm going to kind of, I'll be one of those that gets into the postseason. And as we all know, anything can happen in the postseason. But that's, there's, there's, there's two things. There's a great side of it from the New York Mets part. And then there's this reality like, well, wait a minute. They're, they're doing things no one else can do. And there's about six teams that are willing to spend a lot of money and 24 or five that aren't spending, you know, anything. Uh, there's no doubt. I, I, I got to say, uh, it made me laugh to read the story in the New York Post this morning because, and uh, of course, the Giants, as you know, anytime a big deal like this is made, uh, you know, the words are attached to it pending a physical. And that's why, you know, executives yeah. involved in those deals will run. They won't answer their, their phones. Uh, they'll only speak to you off the record because they're afraid of what might happen. We get news of this deal overnight, and Steve Cohen is quoted on the record, apparently before Carlos Correa has taken a physical acknowledging this deal. And I'm imagining him in an Aloha shirt and a lay making a deal with Scott Boris saying, yeah, cost be damned, we're going to try to win. And that is great if you're a Mets fan. And on the other hand, if you're a fan of another team, you're pulling your hair out. Think about this number, Carl. Uh, the Mets luxury tax uh, penalties, which will be about $100 million, will be the equivalent of what 10 to 12 teams spend in yeah. total yeah. payroll, to your point. Right. And you know that owners, at the I would love to be on the fly on the wall for the next owners meetings to see the looks on those people's faces because, Carl, the context for all of them has changed. We already knew that. I really feel like the part of the reason why the Yankees went in shockingly big on Aaron Judge in, in the face of their history of generally being conservative in some of those negotiations, they go crazy to get Judge because the context for Hal Steinbrenner has changed. The context for yep. the Giants has changed. If you are the owner of the Boston Red Sox, you're John Henry, you're going to go to your, own, your, your fan base now after what the Mets are doing and say, 
I don't know. We can't afford Mookie Betts. <laughs> we can't afford <laughs> Sandy Bogarts. I don't know about this Devers guy. Pretty expensive. And you get this guy in New York is going to finish this year with a payroll over $400 million. Yeah, it's a new dynamic. It's a, it's a whole new equation in Major League Baseball. It's a, it's a new equation in North American sports. Um, you know, I, I, I would bet there's two conversations, Buster, for those owners. I, I think w- within the ownership group or within your own organization, I think there's going to be some of the, you know, is he, is he an idiot? Like, why is he... Why did he give Adam, Adam Adovino two years and 14 million when he probably couldn't get 4 million elsewhere? Or, or there was just no, like he, he overpaid. It's, it's not even a, I mean, I think everybody knows the type of, you know, there's two words that go before money like that. And one begins with an F and the other begins with a Y. Like that's the type of money he has. And he's, he's acting that way when it comes to baseball and his quotes back it up. His point is like, if you're going to go, go. Like, why wouldn't uh, if you're going to make the move, make the move? And I saw a quote the other day where he said, "I've been dealing with numbers this large and larger for so long. Like, this, I'm not bothered by it. So there's no anxiety on jumping out of the plane or diving into the pool. There's, there's none of that. But I do think one of the conversations is, well, let let him. You know, a we know that in baseball, the equation always uh, comes down to. You know, you got to have good players, you got to have good luck, and you got to have good health. Money can't buy all of those things. So it doesn't mean that they win a World Series. It certainly increases their chances of getting to one. It puts them in a better position than most to win it, but it doesn't mean that they win it. We've seen that year in and year out in this sport. And then there's the conversation, like to your point, what are we going to do with our sport? We're dead. I, I Can you imagine what the labor negotiations in 2027 are going to be like? Like, we got floors, caps. We got pro. Like we, we got to, we got to figure out a way to rein this particular guy in or sell your team. Like, do we even exist in this world? Do we want to exist in this world? All those questions are now, you know, front and center and are going to be asked. Oh, there's no doubt. Like uh, already, and I've heard this from folks with teams. Like, oh boy, the next labor talks are going to be bad. You know, the reason why we've got yeah. two players striking. You know this in '94, '95 was. There was a huge dispute between the small market teams and the big market yes. team. And the small market teams angled to have the players pay for that and effectively pay for that with the, the labor agreement. And so the players stood fast. And until the uh, you know, they they held, they struck, they went on strike, the World Series was canceled. They the players held their ground and eventually the owners came together, small market, big market, and they worked out a deal. And there will be a fight between the small market and big market teams. If you are the Kansas City Royals, if you're the Cleveland Guardians, in theory, this is not great. Uh, I would say this, you know, one of the most successful small market teams in terms of on-field success in the last 25 years, the Oakland Athletics, and the guy who led that team, Billy Bean, he always believed, and privately he would make this point to me over and over and over again, the Yankees are great for baseball. Like, a lot of the fan base for Oakland was complaining about the Yankees. Like, what are you kidding? Like they drive interest in this sport when the Yankees are relevant. Mm -hmm. It's huge. Like it's important. And as we sit here today, Carl, baseball has a new death star and that is the New York Mets and baseball has a new Darth Vader. And that is Steve Cohen. And guess what? We're going to be talking about it. We're talking about an April 23rd game. that you and I can't wait to see on Sunday night baseball (laughs) in, in a way that, wouldn't have been possible if not for this one owner. You know, I had one evaluator 
say to me today, the context has changed within the sport to the degree now. The Mets are Michael, the Michael Jordan Bulls. They are going to be the target. They're going to be the team everyone's going to go, go for. And whether they completely flame out or whether they won the World Series, they will drive conversation, and that's good for our industry. Yeah, I don't, I don't doubt that. I, I think there's always – it's always great when there is a team that does that. Look, obviously for years, the Patriots and Tom Brady were that way. But right. they didn't necessarily – they didn't outspend everybody. It wasn't because they outspent everybody. The Michael Jordan Bulls didn't necessarily – outspend everybody it wasn't that you looked at jerry Krause and the ownership of the bulls and said well they're just they're operating at a different level they happen to have the best player brady was the best quarterback this those sports are different that's what makes baseball beautiful you you can have verlander and scherzer and four all-stars on the infield and bring back brandon nimmo it doesn't mean you win and i think that's what other owners will glom onto However, the, the idea that the Oakland Raiders, and for years everybody despised the Oakland Raiders. They were the Darth Vader. They were the black and silver and the crazies that were in the end zones. Yes, the, the Mets are that way, but part of it is because they've out, they, they're, it's not, look, it ain't cheating, but nobody, you know, no other owner wants to seemingly play in that, in that sandbox. So, of course, we're all going to align against them and It'll be really interesting in 27, or as we get towards this next labor deal. And I think we all, you know, need to press pause and just enjoy the next four years. God, yes. I, I'm going to enjoy the hell out of them. But I'm not sure that it's, you know, do you think it's only going to be small market versus big, or because he operates so far out that there are going to be some of the bigger market owners, medium sized mark, who say, I'm kind of aligning myself with with the small market owners, not the Steve Collins of the world. And, and look, between now and then, teams could be bought and sold, and we may end up with somebody just like Steve Cohen or, or more than one who have as much money. And it, it further changes the dynamic that Major League Baseball is operating under. I just know their concern that you got five and 25. You got five teams spending and 25 that aren't. And that's, that's not good for the sport. It's certainly great for interest. They own the week during winter meetings. There was so much buzz. And yeah, people are going to talk about this and people will line up, you know, anybody but the Mets. And it's been a long time since anybody has said that. But now, now it's anybody but the Mets. Who do you root for? Whoever's playing the Mets. I mean, that, that's where we're at. Exactly. And to your point uh, about, you know, spending money doesn't buy championships. The two biggest spending teams, certainly in the last decade, the last 20 years, Dodgers and the Yankees have won two titles among the last 22. Right. But they're all, but they're always in it. They're always in the conversation. Yeah. The Mets can dominate the regular season. They can have a great lineup, right. but you got to win it in the end. And, and you're right. When we get to October, it's who can beat the Mets. Carl, thanks for doing this. Okay, Buster. Good talking with you. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. 
according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. And Sarah, I must say uh, that after absorbing the news about Carlos Correa's deal with the Giants blowing up and then him landing with the Mets, one of my first thoughts was, oh, no, I wonder if Sarah and her mom are going to be on speaking terms. Your mom, a huge Giants fan. You, of course, grew up as a fan of the Mets. Carlos Correa leaves the Giants. Actually, he never was with them, and he winds up with the Mets. My first question is, tell me about your communication with your mom this morning. Oh, my goodness. I felt so badly. Again, you know, when Aaron Judge signed with the Yankees, which I think we all expected he was going to say Yankee, but her reaction was, Oh, nobody wants to be on the Giants. You know, she has all of these things that she says that I'm not agreeing with, but I am stating. And when this all went down last night, I was, I mean, I was frantically texting a bunch of people, just friends of like, is anyone on Twitter right now? Is anyone seeing this? And I did text my mom and I just said, I love you. And then she didn't answer because she was asleep. And then when I woke up, she still hadn't texted. So I said it again. And uh, she pointed out to me, and I will give her credit, and I was actually about to tweet this out, so I will later. She texted me around 6.30 yesterday and said, you know what, let me pull it up so that I say it correctly. But, you know, she was obviously concerned about these reports, about the physical and everything that was going on. And she said to me, do you think this whole Correa imbroglio, great word choice, is to get him to the Mets? Wow. And so I will give her credit. And we have discussed, I mean, longtime listeners of the podcast got to hear her when the Giants uh, what clinched the postseason spot in 2021. And uh, she is a baseball fan, so she tends toward the negativity, which I think kind of comes with certain, uh, certain fandoms, certain fan bases. So at the time, I was like, no, 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 that's not what's going on here. Don't be silly. And so uh, she reminded me this morning that, quote, she had it first. 
So it's possible then. So your mom's conspiracy theory, okay, <laughs> would mean that the Correa, maybe as he was going through this to say, you know what, I don't really want to play in San Francisco. I'd rather play with the Mets. I want to play with a big market team. But here's the the flaw, the, the fault in that argument would be that the Giants would have to be complicit in that conspiracy and say, you know what, C Carlos, we'll go along with this whole ruse to deliver you to the Mets, right? I mean, if, am I diagnosing that right? You are. And that's why I've been trying to convince her for the last <laughs> hour that that's not what's going on. Maybe hearing it from you will help even more so than from me. But uh, there's no way. I mean, obviously, I have no idea the actual conversations that went on. But that's not what this was about. I mean, my assessment, having seen these things happen, we've all seen physicals go awry for players, usually not for a 13-year deal. But my guess is that something came up, maybe his back, something else. And the Giants said, okay, maybe we need to change the terms of this right. deal slightly. And then the Correa camp said, well... Not sure we want to do that. We know that there are other teams that could be interested. I mean, I think that it has to be some version of that that happened. This was not an imbroglio created to get him to the Mets. But I understand that, you know, fandom is a really tough thing. And I do feel badly for Giants fans because the whole narrative entering the offseason was that they were going to open the pocketbooks and spend in any way. And I don't think it's anyone's fault, certainly not for Hans Eides, that the players they chose to go after ended up having two very specific things happen, right? Whatever went down with this physical. And unfortunately, they had to go after Judge but the pull of being a Yankee who was just named the captain is very strong. And that's just something that's really difficult to compete with. Uh, I want to run some some thoughts back past you that I got from an evaluator this morning. Uh, first off, his feeling is there's no question this improves the Mets. That you're talking about a team that won 101 games. And to that team, they've added Justin Verlander, Carlos Correa, They've upgraded the bullpen. They have a true left-hander in Rayleigh. They've got Adam Adovino. They bring him back. They've got David Robertson. Purely from a wins above replacement perspective, I don't think there's any question. The Mets statistically have to be the favorites in the National League East this coming year. What do you think? I think this gets them a lot closer. You know, up until, you know, whatever, 2.40 a.m. this morning, I've been saying that it was probably the Phillies who, once Harper comes back, will be that force to be reckoned with that we saw all throughout the postseason until really the end of the World Series. But I do think that this puts the Mets ahead of that. And I also think, I mean, I was talking yesterday just over lunch about the NL East and where these teams stood and with all that the Mets had done to improve their pitching, replace Jacob deGrom and everything else, their lineup was still not in the best spot. I mean, you can absolutely put together the best case scenario with Pete Alonzo, Jeff McNeil, and Francisco Lindor. But adding another reliable bat, I think, makes them appreciably better. And that was the issue we saw last year. I mean, it was all about that lineup 
not producing at the level they needed to. So I think this makes them a lot better. I also think even though he's never played third base professionally, I think he will be an upgrade defensively at third base because we know how good he is defensively. We know how much pride he takes in his defense. And I think bringing all of that to that position there will be really, really good for them as well. And I mean, you know, this isn't on the make the team better, make them a favorite part. But the idea of Carlos Graham, Francisco Lindor in New York is really good for baseball and for fans. Yeah, I, and I spoke with an evaluator this morning who mentioned everything you just did. He said, look, Eduardo Escobar uh, is a below average defender. And now you have Carlos Correa, who has a strong arm. He's an excellent shortstop. You put him at third base. I would, you know, I go back and because I'm so old, I can go back and remember when Alex Rodriguez went to the Yankees, we all assumed he would be a great third baseman right away. And Sarah, it took some time. Uh, you know, the, the speed of the position was different. And Alex would be the first one to acknowledge that, that it, it took him a little while to get used to that spot. And so we'll see if Carlos will do it. I, I think he's he's going to be great. Before you go, uh, I want to put you in Buck Showalter's shoes Tell me how you're lining up the first six hitters in the Mets lineup. Oh, my goodness. You know, I was thinking about this right before we came on because I figured you were going to ask. And, you know, I think Nemo is still hitting leadoff. Yep. I know that obviously Marte is the traditional leadoff hitter, but that works for them. I mean, I wonder if Marte is hitting second. Lindor, Alonzo, Correa, McNeil. I don't know. I yeah, mean, that's I'm how still... I had it, Sarah. Okay, that's exactly. Good. I tweeted out earlier today. That's to me. Oh, I missed a, it. Yeah, you got the left-handed hitter, and then yeah. you've got the right-handed hitter, Marte, and then you put the switch hitter in Lindor four. I don't think Pete Alonso, like him being the the one true power hitter in the middle of that lineup, I got hitting him clean up, and I got Correa batting behind Alonso giving Buck Showalter what he desperately looked for last year, which was somebody batting behind Alonso who would compel opponents to pitch to him. Because he, uh, you know, he he really struggled to find that guy last year, someone who would make opponent posing pitchers fearful. I And Carlos absolutely would do that. Absolutely. And again, that's why I say they are so much appreciably better than last year because as you said it was all about the lineup they had all of these guys kind of hitting for contact and then Alonzo hitting home runs and then the inevitable slumps which happened over the course of a year and I think just injecting another guy who is a silver slugger you know perennial MVP candidate when healthy that type of hitter makes this so much better of a lineup top to bottom and uh, they do need that guy behind Alonzo. And it's funny because, you know, line of construction, the idea that we've had for the cleanup hitter and where you put him has kind of changed over the years. But I think the way this team is built, it really works to have him batting forth. I mean, Alonzo is not quite on the Mike Trout level of being your best power hitter and your best pure hitter. And so that allows you to put him there, have Lindor ahead of him, have Gray after him. I mean, this lineup is much better than the one we saw against the Padres in the playoffs last year. No doubt. 
All right, Sarah, thanks for doing this. Uh, you know, tell your mom I'm sorry. Uh, and, uh, you know, th th there are better days ahead for the San Francisco Giants, I'm sure. Take care. There are. Thank you so much for having me. And she will hear this, and I hope she will take it to heart. David Ross is the manager of the Chicago Cubs, uh, and we brought him on. I asked him to come on because I wanted to talk about Dansby Swanson. I want to talk about the improvement in the Cubs defense. But, Rossi, as you know, as you and I are talking, news is breaking about Carlos Correa going to the Mets. You are not in a position where you can specifically talk about that signing uh, per Major League Baseball rules. But what we've been talking about this morning is how great I feel like it is for baseball when you have a lot of conversation around star players and big teams. Tell me as a baseball fan, uh, you know, how you heard about this news this morning. Yeah, I woke up and uh, jumped in the car. I've got, you know, I'm on dad duty right now in the off season. So uh, I've got on an MLB network radio and, um, you know, I hear the guys talking about Correa and the Mets and I was just, I was dumbfounded and confused and I'm like, wait a minute, like where did a, did I miss a week of, of, of something like what is going on? And so uh, as I listened, they kind of mapped it out and, and we're talking through it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's it, one, anytime you get to, to turn on the um, turn on the radio and hear exciting baseball news and just, you know, controversial stuff and, you know, star players and, teams getting better and, um, you know, things going on. It's just super interesting. And uh, I love I love that about our sports. Just anything can happen at any day. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I did SportsCenter at 7.30 a.m. Eastern time this morning. You know, when they were breaking into SportsCenter to talk about a baseball story at the top of the show in the middle of football season, that it's a, it's a huge story. That's for sure. No doubt. I, I thought Dansby all along uh, – was a great fit for you guys because I really feel like that over time it's been proven the quickest way to competitive relevance is pitching and defense. Tell me what you see in Dansby. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, you're on the same page as me, right? Being a, I was a defensive minded player. Um, and, you know, Dansby to me, coupling him with Nico Horner, it just is, you know, what a, what a great middle infield we're going to have for a really long time. It's really exciting. Our pitching is really taking a step forward in our organization and, and our second half last year really um, was evident of that. Some young guys coming up, still making their mark. Um, you know, we've got that middle of the middle of the diamond, pretty, pretty stacked. We're at Bellinger in center field. We know what kind of outfielder he can be and, and the potential of his bat. So um, when you look at us up the middle, it's really promising from a manager standpoint, we're going to pick it up. We're going to, we're going to throw it across the diamond. We're going to be really sound fundamentally sound. And I, I really think those are the things that you can bring to work every single day. Hitting's difficult and it's inconsistent and you're going to go through ups and downs. Um, Dansby, a, a well-rounded baseball player. The powers come as of late. Uh, you, you look at his track record. He's gotten better every single year. He's a winner, a proven winner. Uh, and then when you meet with him, man, it's just the, the character uh, who he is, family man, uh, the things that are important to him. You know, all he asked about was winning from the top. He, he wanted to know how we were going to win, what that looked like and how we were going to get him better and how he, he was going to help us. So um, when you hear those two things, the things that we try to pride ourselves on in Chicago are, um, 
you know, winning guys that want to win. They want to, they want to focus those. That's the number one focus and want to train to get better every single day to, to, to be the best they possibly can. And um, the fact that he asked us those two questions right off the top was, was pretty evident that he'd be a nice fit. So tell me about uh, where, where you talk to him, how you talk to him. Uh, and I'm also curious about specifically the moment when you hear that he's signing with you, what your reaction was and how did you hear that? Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, this is the first, uh, as my, me being manager and, you know, we had COVID my early in my, my, uh, tenure as a manager. And so, um, you know, I hadn't got to meet with a whole lot of free agents face to face and I've gotten to do that a number of times this off season. And, um, we met with Dansby, flew up to Atlanta to meet with him and his agent and me and Jed and Carter, uh, my bosses, um, all met with him. Uh, at a restaurant and just sat down and talked to him and his wife and just got to know him, man. He's just like transparency and uh, asking questions, um, you know, let him fire some questions at us. We fired some at him, get to know his wife, what was important to him and, and, and hear, you know, the things that, that you want to hear um, within those meetings, you know, you're not going to, not going to get to know somebody within a, a two, three hour dinner, but it's very easy to talk about and, and winning, was top priority. That was very evident uh, to him and, uh, and his family. So uh, if you come away with there, very impressed, talking to a lot of free agents, they're all impressive. You're, you're beating with some of the best players in the world. Uh, and then the process starts, you know, Turner's still out there. Correa's still out there. Um, you know, uh, bogey, the free agent stuff hadn't really started to, to transpire yet. And you get to the winter meetings and things start to go crazy. So um, when we finally, when I finally heard the news, uh, I was jacked up. Obviously, I text him right away. Um, super pumped. You know, my our front office has been working really hard this offseason to to make us better within the constraints that uh, they're in. And um, they did a really nice job so far of, of putting some really nice pieces in play. Uh, we've got some other nice pieces, but Dansby is definitely a, a big one in the middle of the order that feel like or the middle of the diamond that feel like gets us uh, space throughout. I text him. He texts me back. Uh, fired up, uh, ready to win. And uh, first thing he asked me was for everybody's numbers so he could start reaching out to the players. That really stood out to me. It was really impressive. Yes. So you had to suffer through Carter Hawkins, uh, your general manager, and Dansby doing these secret <laughs> Vanderbilt handshakes. Yeah, you know all about that. Uh, the bandy, I guess the bandy boys stick together is what I was learning and all these things for sure. Yeah, that is true. That is 100% <laughs> true. 60 seconds. Tell me about the pitching you got coming and why you feel good about it. Well, I mean, Marcus Stroman, when he was healthy last year, he, he, he's really, you know, was really impressive. Uh, Justin Steele put himself on the map. Keegan Thompson was a swing guy for us out of the pen. Uh, Jameson Tyon, uh, another really impressive free agent that we were able to lock up that um, we feel really good about just solidifying the depth that we have. Um, we've got some guys that aren't quite, I don't think, the physical announcements yet. But we got another guy coming that we had last year. Um, that really had a, an, an impressive stint when he was healthy. Um, and we got more coming. Adrian Sampson put himself on the map a little bit. We've got uh, Hayden Wisniewski, uh, a guy that we got in the Yankee trade uh, for Scott Efros, who was really impressive on the back end. Javier Assad, some young guys that are that are really coming um, and even more depth in AAA and uh, some of the trades we've made. So um, Craig Breslow, the head of our uh, pitching infrastructure and, and our pitching group, uh, I have a lot of confidence in them. They do a phenomenal job of connecting with the players, making them better, deep dives, uh, and we've got them coming uh, a lot. And it's probably 
as long as I've been in this organization, I feel like this is as good a depth as we've had in a really long time. So, you know, as well as I do, that's, that's a really important piece. We ran out of depth last year and it showed at times. All right, Rossi. Thanks for doing this on a busy day. Of course, Buster. I appreciate uh, talking to you. Have a Merry Christmas, my friend. You too. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus chews. They're the one and done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Jumping into the numbers. numbers. This is Hembo Knows on Baseball Tonight. Paul Mikitis, of course. Hembo is a researcher at ESPN. He's also a honcho on this show, Get Up, and he's a huge baseball fan, which means... Like David Ross, like Carl Ravitch, like Sarah Langs, you're someone who's excited by the news. How did you hear about it, Hembo? I woke up to the news, um, just like most of us here on the East Coast. It was a stunning development that I had no idea was uh, on the table, truly. Uh, my assumption had been that Carlos Correa was going to spend the next 13 years of his life in San Francisco. So I was just as surprised as everyone else was. So the first thought I had was, holy bleep. The second thought I had was, Steve Cohen's decision to buy the Mets is going to change the face of baseball forever. Like yesterday was a fundamental shock to the system from wherever he was in Hawaii, a volcanic explosion um, of lava across all of baseball, because just having one of these people in the sport now changes the math. It changes the way that fans will think. It changes the way that other owners will feel held accountable to those fans. It's going to change everything. Sometimes all it takes is one outsider who is willing to think critically, who's willing to take risks, And who has, by the way, $17.5 billion net worth, and this is what we get. We get baseball now, which I don't think will ever quite look the same, and Steve Cohen is the biggest reason why. Yeah, there are Maverick owners in other sports, for sure. Uh, You know, Mark Cuban comes to mind in the NBA. Jerry Jones comes to mind in the NFL. But here's the thing, Hembo. Those sports have salary. They they have hard salary caps they they have repercussions if you're the maverick owner who just wants to spend cost be damned baseball also has a luxury tax system 
He blew through that, Hembo. I think he completely changes the conversation. If you're John Henry, you're the owner of the Red Sox, and you're trying to tell your fan base why you can't spend on Bogarts or can't spend on bats, or if you're the Giants ownership, uh, and you're talking about what you can or can't do, it completely alters expectations. Baseball's luxury tax is, has, and always likely will be an absolute sham. If you look at the, uh, the actual money, that teams have been penalized over the years by exceeding the luxury tax. We are talking about pennies on the dollar in the last 20 years. I'm talking about 20 years, 30 teams. We're talking about a total of less than $700 million spent in luxury tax money. We're talking about like the total of two or three mega contracts, like in terms of individual players, we're talking about so little money. And the New York Yankees have been the team that takes up about half of those dollars. So it was only a matter of time before an owner came in and recognized the luxury tax for the fraud that it was. I understand why owners have elected to hide behind it all these years because it saves them money. It enables to reduce player salaries and keep them low. And there's been a gentleman's agreement that by by and large, we're not going to exceed it, at least not by that much. The Yankees had a long stretch in which they exceeded almost every year, but nothing approximating this. Right now, the New York Mets are in line to pay more than $100 million just in penalties next year. The, the New York Mets next year will pay more money in, pay, in penalties from exceeding the tax than nine teams had, Buster, in opening day salary. Think about that. Their penalty is larger than the opening day salary of a third of the sport. They are, they are detonating the way that we have viewed this. The, the, the Mets are playing fantasy baseball, and it's high time that the other 29 teams look around and say – we're going to have to compete. We're going to have to catch up. This is a whole different kind of money ball. And I, for one, am really happy that someone was willing to do this, be radical about all of this. So I think it makes baseball eminently interesting. I don't know how these investments are necessarily going to age, but you and I are in the interesting business. This is as interesting as it gets in the sport of baseball. Yeah, and I think you'll agree with uh, someone who knows something about baseball finance. That would be Billy Bean, who said to me more than a decade ago, the Yankees are great for baseball. This is when, you know, his team was being outspent by the Yankees by a factor of four to one because his feeling was everyone, they drive the business. They drive the conversation. It's a good thing when you have a team like this. And as I wrote in a column today, uh, you know, Steve Cohen is the Darth Vader. The Mets are the new Death Star. They're going to drive the conversation. That's great for all the teams. Yes, the idea that... Um... David versus Goliath is bad for baseball, bad for sports, has always been a fallacy. If you think about baseball historically, when baseball has been at its best, it's been when its biggest market teams are thriving and we have um, factions, we have rivalries, we have venom, we have hatred. And Carlos Correa playing uh, third base in New York, but not for the Yankees, it's fundamentally great for the sport. But ultimately, I think a lot of times, we get too far out ahead of our skis because you, you, people like you and me love the sport to pieces and we're always going to follow it no matter how good or bad it might be. Yep. But the average baseball fan, the average baseball fan isn't necessarily like us, Buster. We're not the demographic. Having villains, having heroes, having a protagonist, having an antagonist, having the billionaire owner that you can all hate or all love, having an entire country of Puerto Rico now that's going to love to become a Mets fan because of the left side of their infield is great for baseball is great for the Mets. I'm with you. Like Billy Bean has, has obviously lived in that one lane wildly successfully for years and years and years. But if we're talking about baseball globally, baseball, big picture, the ethos of baseball, what is happening right now in New York is the best thing that possibly could make no mistake about it. How much better does Correa make the Mets in your estimation? 
Way better. Carlos Correa might be the best shortstop in baseball. <laughs> He's now playing third base for the Mets. The Mets have a real chance, a real chance to be an all-time great regular season team. Buster, I truly mean that. We saw the Dodgers do it last year. It obviously means nothing in the postseason, but an awful lot went wrong for the Mets last year to get to 101 wins, right? Their pitching staff, especially their starting rotation, is going to be considerably better. They have two potential short, uh, Hall of Fame shortstops on the left side of their infield, which is historically unprecedented. I've come across, and I picked up a few names in terms of comparison, but there's not much there. I'm thinking back to Ernie Banks and Ron Santo, Louis Aparicio and Brooks Robinson, Robin Yount and Paul Molitor, of course, Jeter and A-Rod. This is a really, really short list. And let's not forget to mention, Buck Showalter is a manager who has a decades-long, a durable track record of eking out the most value out of his teams. They regularly exceed their run differential in terms of expectation. And not to mention, yes, the, the National League East is going to be loaded, but they've changed the schedule. They've balanced the schedule this upcoming season. So you're not playing the Braves 19 times. You're playing them 14 times. You're not playing the Phillies 19 times. You're playing them 14 times. I, I think we're living in a world in which if the Mets hit, like if the Mets really uh, hit in a way in which uh, people stay healthy, and they can avoid uh, any sort of unforeseen stuff, which has happened to the Mets over the years. I don't think winning 110, 115, or even 120 games is off the table. They are absolutely loaded at every position. Their utility guys could make the all-star team in Milwaukee or Pittsburgh. They have guys at the back end of the rotation that would be the ace for a third of the teams in the league. they got the best closer in the sport. There's nothing that this team does not have, nothing at all. And Carlos Correa right now, who knows what his back will look like in 12 years from now, but Carlos Correa right now is going to slide over to third base and effectively be Manny Machado playing alongside Francisco Lindor and with an outfield that includes Brandon Nimmo and Starling Marte. This is an all-star team. They have two first ballot Hall of Fame pitchers atop their rotation who are still in the back end of their prime. I don't think you can say enough about how good this team is likely to be. Anything short of the World Series, I think, would be an epic collapse. Now, obviously, baseball's postseason is fickle, but this team is good enough to be favored in any series they play for sure. We just spoke with David Ross, who acknowledged that, you know, from the, the Cubs perspective, his perspective, the quickest way to competitive relevance is through improved defense and pitching. How much better does Dansby Swanson make the Cubs? Considerably. The Cubs are going to win more games than they lose next season. The Cubs are going to jump over the Brewers next season. I really like the addition of Dansby Swanson for them specifically with Jamison Tyone, the new addition, with Kyle Hendricks with Marcus Stroman, this is a pitching staff that's going to live on the ground. And with Dansby Swanson playing shortstop, with Nico Horner playing second base, especially now that you've eliminated the shift, up the middle defense is at a premium. And the Cubs are going to play it better than any team in baseball. You can make up a lot of, uh, of ground by being good in that area. It's not just that they have good defenders in the middle of the diamond. It's that they're marrying it with their pitching staff. There's a clear organizational philosophy again there in Chicago. They did not have it the, the, the previous few seasons, even when the Baezes and the Rizzos and the Bryans and the Contreras were still there. It sort of became disheveled by the end. It really did. What they have now is a very clear philosophy. We're going to win this way. And the buy-in is going to make a huge difference. I think the Cubs are going to allow 50 fewer runs than they allowed last year. I think they're probably going to score 50 more runs than they allowed last year because Swanson can hit a little bit. And they got a, uh, a really nice uh, young collection of hitters in that lineup, too. And if you can find a way to get 100 runs better, you're going to be way better. It just goes without saying. That's going to be a, that's going to equal something like 10 wins. I think they passed the Brewers and finished second in the National League Central. I think it's going to happen as soon as next season. All right. In light of all the money that's been spent this winter 
uh, I want to be the agent for Rafael Devers because I can't remember the last time a player had this kind of leverage in the way that Devers has with the Red Sox ownership, which is under siege. Fan base is furious about this. Betts left. Bogarts left. And here comes Rafael Devers, who's going to be 26 years old at the end of next season. 20, going to turn 27 at the end of next season. And he's going to hit an, uh, the open market in what is generally speaking, besides Shohei Otani, underneath Shohei Otani, a thin market. Oh, my God. Like the Red Sox either better come in with a white flag and say, what is it going to take? And that offer needs to start with the number four. Or I think Hembo, like he's gone. What do you think? I think there's a 0% chance that Rafael Devers is a member of the Red Sox in 2024 if they don't sign him before opening day of 2023. That was a long way of saying, I don't think he's coming back unless they get this right, right now. And I'll tell you why. First of all, the Red Sox are going to stink on ice. They have, uh, I think, the worst roster in their division. And that division includes a rebuilding Baltimore Orioles team. That team's on the come. The Red Sox are not. So if I'm Rafael Devers and I'm sitting through another 70 and 92 season, with my 320 total bases just as a uh, being wasted, I'm not going to have this sort of desire to return to Boston, especially when the tenor around that organization I think is likely to continue to plummet based upon that. I don't think they're going to be very good. Next, we know that right now teams are eminently willing to spend. Like That is something that has been clearly established. And next offseason, that is still going to be the case. The Dodgers haven't spent hardly a cent, it seems, in free agency aside from J.D. Martinez and a couple of things along the margins when it comes to their pitching staff. So we know they're going to be willing to spend money. And there are going to be other teams and other owners that are going to be in the thick of things too. Let's not forget the San Francisco Giants are going to have a lot of money, presumably, that they're willing to spend uh, unless they find something in in, uh, in Rafael Devers' left knee that they didn't know about or some such nonsense. But either way, there's going to be teams willing to spend and the Red Sox are not going to be able to outbid them based upon their organizational philosophy. It's a remarkable thing, really, Buster. The Red Sox have, have managed to find a way to where other teams, other companies, if you will, value their own employees more than they do. And in what walk of life has that ever worked? Not only is it really bad in terms of players, employee retention, if you will, people wanting to stay, Buster, what it also does, and you know this just from working many places in your life, it's also really bad for performance because it's really bad for morale. If you don't feel like you're value, valued where you're working, you are not likely to maximize the output based upon your effort, your performance, based upon the, the more qualitative things that are much more difficult to put on the back of a baseball card. I think the Red Sox have found themselves in an awful position where they don't value people that they bring up, they develop, et cetera, the same way that others do. And there's just no way, uh, there's no walk in life, there's no company, there's no place in the world where, uh, where that works. And they found themselves between a rock and a hard place. Uh, I would make Rafael Devers a godfather-like offer because let's face it, 15 years from now, Rafael Devers might be in the Hall of Fame. Like We're talking about a player who over the last four years has collected more total bases than any in, in the American League. And that's theoretically before he's even hitting his prime. This is a guy that can hit with his eyes closed. He's going to age really, really well. And if he doesn't, and if the Red Sox don't want him to age really well for them, I guarantee you he'll find a, uh, another team somewhere that's willing to give him $400 million, say, to age really well for them. You mentioned the Dodgers offseason. Uh, it's incredible to think that the Dodgers, the Dodgers payroll for 2023 is going to be somewhere in the range of $150 million to $170 million, less than what the Mets payroll is going to be. They've signed all these guys to one-year deals, you know, J.D. Martinez and others. 
The perception among other clubs is they are loading up for next winter. They're going to reset an electric tax threshold. And then next year, they're going to take a big run at another player. The broad assumption is that's going to be Shohei Otani. That, you know, a player who might get $50 million a year, his contract might be for $500 million. But if they miss out on Otani, the next like the next, next most likely guy would be Rafael Devers. And Hembo, make this agreement with me now. If hmm. it turns out that the Dodgers get Rafael Devers, just as they got Mookie Betts, we need to start referring to the Red Sox as the St. Louis Browns for the <laughs> Los Angeles Dodgers. Because that's the 1950s. <laughs> That's what the St. Louis Browns did for the New York Yankees. They were kind of a farm team for the Yankees. That's what the Red Sox would effectively feel like if Devers were to leave the Red Sox and go to the Dodgers. I like it, Buster. Isn't that what, uh, what Connie Mack used to do? He used right. to sell all of his Philadelphia A's right. every few years once they got too expensive. Uh, what the Red Sox are doing is absurd, and what the Dodgers are going to do is genius. The, jo- the Dodgers have uh, are going to have saved up an enormous amount of money so that Shohei Otani can't say no. And who's to say they can't sign both? Like what we know about the Dodgers and Andrew Friedman is this. They don't like pay, uh, paying pitchers for a long period of time. Right? We'll see what they wind up doing with Walker Bueller, but they don't give long to- uh, contracts to pitchers. They like their middle of the, the diamond uh, players to be young, athletic, cheap, and they like to let them go once they're done with their control, like Corey Seager, like Trey Turner. And they like paying the Hall of Fame talent. They like paying Mookie Betts. They like paying... Freddie Freeman. They like paying people who they know over a long period of time is going to produce enormous value with durable things that are replicable. Uh, in the case of Rafael Devers, it's very easy to see that he's just going to hit for a really long time. It's a special bat. And in the case of Shohei Otani, I got into an argument recently with a friend who's arguing that Shohei Otani is a volatile investment because Otani can't possibly sustain this year over year, yada, yada, yada. Where I think my buddy has it all wrong and where Andrew Freeman is very likely to have it all right is that the very opposite is true, Buster. Shohei Otani is a brilliant investment because he can do both. And if one goes, well, you can still re- uh, uh, enjoy getting enormous value from the other. That's the beauty of Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani's bat is probably worth 30 to $40 million a year on the open market, as is his arm. And if he blows out his elbow or he blows out his shoulder, or if for some reason he loses 10% of his bat speed, the fallback option is, oh, by the way, an all-star at something else. That's why I view Shohei Otani as a slam dunk investment. This is a, like a, a singular talent, a Babe Ruth type, as we know, except he's a brilliant athlete who is seemingly able to do things with his body in terms of rest and recovery that no one else could have possibly ever fathomed before. That's why I think Shohei Otani is a slam dunk and absolutely worth the 50 plus million dollars that the Dodgers or someone else is going to give him one year from now. Yeah, I hate saying this. You're completely right. And your friend, whoever he is, and I have a suspicion, is completely wrong. (laughs) All right, Hembo. Have a great holiday. You too, bud. Later, friends. Bleacher Tweets. All right, Buster, it is time for Bleacher Tweets. But before we head into Bleacher Tweets, I want to share what this whole situation reminds me of. I have been consuming way too many Hallmark Christmas movies at the moment. And this, this is written. This is written for Hallmark. Hear me out, okay? So we have Carlos Correa, who was engaged to the hotshot business person from California, the Giants. He's trying to find the spirit of Christmas, obviously. So he in a sweater vest heads off to New York, the Mecca of all things Christmas, where he meets and falls in love with the Mets. 
The spark is undeniable. The chemistry is there. And just as he is about to leave to go back to the Giants, a Christmas angel swoops in, Steve Cohn, and he says, stay, stay here with your love, stay here with your passion. And just like that, Christmas is saved. Oh my goodness. You have watched a lot of Hallmark movies, okay? Because you and I both know it was about money and about the biggest stage, which by the way, is totally Carlos's prerogative, right? It was about the Christmas spirit, Buster, about love. <laughs> All right. All right. I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna like inject any more reality. Let's get the bleacher tweets. <laughs> okay. Our first one comes from Corey Rucker. Oh boy, Buster, Taylor, and Sarah getting that pod ready after the Cohen coup. Um, just like that, we are. Yes, we are. Next one is Terry Jackson on Dansby Swanson signing with the Cubs. I am devastated. Why? How? I want to know all the details of the negotiations. Was there even a negotiation? I'm still grieving Freddie Freeman. Now this, what next? Von Grissom? Yeah, so there was a negotiation. The, the Braves offered uh, Dansby a contract. Uh, they held the line as they have in some of their other negotiations, including with Freddie. And uh, we don't really know if they would have stretched a little bit above where they were. But the fact is, is that the Cubs offer blew the, the Braves offer you know, out of the water. It was like $75 million more. I, I felt, and I we talked about on the podcast, by the way, that Dansby effectively would have a choice. Would he either take the money of the Cubs or would he go back to Atlanta, the team that he played with and, and won a championship with? And Sarah, I, I you know, humble bragged uh, to Taylor that in the week of the winter meetings, when we projected where all these shortstops would land, we were 100%, right? We nailed them all. But now that was blown up because the Correa to the Giants prediction turns out to be completely wrong. And he winds up as a third baseman in the Mets. I did not predict that. <laughs> Next up is Andrew Campbell at Real Camp Drew. Buster, if you're an MLB GM, would you ever trade a superstar away for a gaggle of prospects? Boston has virtually nobody left from the Mookie trade. No one in Washington is going to live up to Soto or Scherzer. And the Rockies' return for Arenado wasn't much either. Yep, that's exactly right. There's a perception. I've had people in the Red Sox organization who tell me this, that when you look back at uh, how they handled the bet situation, they clearly traded him six months too late. Uh, they should have traded him before uh, the trade deadline in, what was it, 2020. And it's uh, it's really cost them. And now we've seen the Angels with Otani, you know, likely to be a free agent. Devers, uh, unless the Red Sox sign him, those guys could be trade candidates sometime this July. And along the same lines, they're probably not going to get a ton. I would say this, the Juan Soto deal, I think it's too early to say whether or not that was a bust because the perception was the Nationals did get a lot in young talent. And last up is Debbie Gammons Brown. We all know that no one can top Sarah Lang's love for baseball, but we definitely have to include Terry Francona at the top of the list, along with Tim Kirkshin and Peter Gammons. And Doug Glanville is really smart, insightful dude. Do you think he'll ever end up in a front office somewhere or as an executive with MLB? I got to ask Doug the question about, you know, why that hasn't happened. I'm sure he's been approached with opportunities, but I know this. Doug absolutely loves his family, uh, and he knows that if he works in a front office, it, it directly impacts the time he spends with his family. The more time he spends, uh, you know, in an office, staying on planes, it means less time with his kids. 
All right. That's it for Bleacher Tweets this week. Be sure to submit your question using hashtag Bleacher Tweets. That's it for today. Uh, and by the way, Sarah, we've, we've settled on the next show. We're not going to have a show next week. Uh, we are going to tape a show. It looks like on January 6th, Friday, January 6th. So, uh, you know, have great holidays. And the other thing I, I was going to mention this as well. We need to thank Taylor because Taylor put together an almost a completely a, a complete show yesterday before the Korean news broke. You, so you, you're going to step up and thank him. Uh, Taylor, thank you so much for all of your hard work. It is absolutely devastating that yesterday's episode will not see the light of day, but you are never forgotten. <laughs> yeah, the best show that Taylor ever put together. No one is going to hear it. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, thanks to you, Sarah. Thanks to David Ross, to Sarah Langs, to Hembo, uh, and to Carl Ravitch. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.